It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to the third episode of the Curly W Live podcast. As a reminder, you can always find the podcast on Curly W Live, which is curlyw.mlblogs.com, nationals.com slash podcast, and on iTunes. You can listen to new episodes and go back and in the archives to find past episodes. So for this podcast, uh, we recorded it during the recent six-game road trip that took the Nationals from Pittsburgh to Atlanta. And during the road trip, we sat down and talked with uh, Dan Coco, the on-field reporter for Nationals Broadcasts on Masson, and Chip Winfield, the producer of Nationals Broadcasts on Masson. And as you remember, in, in episode two, we talked to Jackie Coleman and Jerome Harushka about the in-game entertainment and the production side of things at Nationals Park. You know, what is going on at the park behind the scenes? You're sitting in the stands, you know, what's going on behind the scenes? So for this episode, we wanted to give fans a look at what goes into a broadcast on TV. Um, so you have a sense of what's going on at Nationals Park, and now when you're at home watching the game, you kind of have a sense of what's going on through the eyes of Dan and Chip. So it was two really good interviews, a lot of good information from both uh, both guys. So we'll get you to those in a second, but don't forget to stay tuned after the interviews for a look ahead at the upcoming homestand and a sneak peek at our next episode. So as Nationals fans, you obviously know Dan Coco. He is the on-field reporter for Nationals Broadcasts on Masson, as well as the host of Between Innings with Dan Coco podcast. Dan has been a staple of Nationals baseball since 2012 when he served as the beat writer for MassonSports.com. And he transitioned to the role of on-field reporter in 2014 and has been a part of the team that brings you Nationals baseball every single night, ever since. Uh, in this interview, we talked to Dan about his career path, the transition from beat reporter to on-field reporter, uh, some of the people he looks up to, to in the industry, um, talks about his behind-the-scenes staff a little bit, makes mention of Chip a couple times, um, and how important Chip is to what he does every single night. Uh, we talked a little bit about his game day preparation, as well as some other fun topics, um, so here's our interview with Dan Coco, and I hope you enjoy it. All right, we are here at the Curly W Live podcast studios, and with me today is Dan Coco, the on-field reporter for Nationals Broadcast on Masson, as well as the host of the Between Innings with Dan Coco podcast. Uh, we'll get to that podcast later, but first off, Dan, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Kyle, it is my absolute pleasure to be here with you. We'll talk about the podcast later, but first, let's talk a little bit about your career path. Um, you're let's your, do it. All right. Let's go. All right. Uh, you're in your fourth season with Masson as the on-field reporter and sixth season covering the team. Yes. Um, and you transitioned to your position as on-field reporter after spending a couple years as the beat writer for both the Ravens and um, the Nationals for MassonSports.com. Um, so I guess my first question is when you were writing, actually when you were coming out through college and when you were writing for MassonSports.com, was being a on-field reporter ever you know, in your plans or something you inspired for? I always wanted to cover sports on television. That was always my goal. I, I went to University of Delaware, and I did work for the student TV station there. I also did uh, work for the student newspaper and the student radio station. But 
working on air in a television capacity covering sports was always the the ultimate goal as far as I saw it. Now, did I see myself as the on-field reporter for a Major League Baseball team? No, but I knew that I wanted to be working in television. I knew I wanted to be in front of the camera. And so I got an opportunity with Masson to do a variety of things very early on when they were kind of relaunching their website and putting a lot of resources into it. I did some behind-the-scenes stuff for them. They gave me the opportunity to cover the Ravens. And um, it was writing, so it wasn't what I really wanted to do, but I was covering an NFL team, and I, I loved it. And then bumped up to covering the Nationals in 2012 and got an opportunity to do a little bit more on-air stuff for our pre- and post-game show, Nats Extra. Um, and then the job just kind of fell to me in 2014. I got a call in spring training when I was covering a uh, Nats-Astros game in Kissimmee, Florida. Lovely Kissimmee. Yes, lovely. And uh, was asked whether being the on-field reporter is something that I wanted to do. And I said, you bet your, <laughs> you know what, uh, I do. And here we are. So it wasn't – I didn't necessarily see myself in this exact role um, – and the writing was always kind of the means to an end to, to hopefully put myself in a situation where I could be on air. Um, but it's worked out, and uh, I've, I've had a ton of fun doing this, and you know, I get to talk about baseball on TV, so there are, could be worse. there are certainly worse things that I could be doing with my days. Do you remember whether it was in college or um, early on in your career, your first on-camera hit or moment or piece that you did? I remember um, I did a lot of on-camera stuff for the website early on when I was covering the Ravens, and then I got the opportunity for our Mid-Atlantic Sports Report show to, to do some kind of game previews and some game recaps in the studio. Um, and those were enjoyable, and they were a nice bit of experience, but the, the first time that I ever really um, got the opportunity to do, like, the way I saw it, like some legit... Uh, on-air work was one day, I believe it was in 2012, my first year covering the Nats, uh, Ray Knight got sick and was not able to, this was, you know, like early afternoon, was not able to work that day. And I got a call from Chris Glass um, asking me whether I could grab a suit, drive down to the park, which, you know, I was going to be going anyway, Mm -hmm. and be the wow. the analyst, <laughs> the 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 co-host along with Johnny Holiday for that day's game, and um, you know, s- very big shoes to fill, filling in for <laughs> Ray Knight, uh, a uh, World Series MVP, right. and a guy who has forgotten more about baseball than I will ever know. Um, but that was that was a total thrill. I, um, but I was there with Johnny for for pre and post, and it was a it was a lot of fun. So that was a cool experience. Did Johnny have any advice for you? Or what did, do you remember what he said, if he said anything to you? Uh, Johnny, Johnny's great because he, first of all, he runs the show, and mm-hmm. he kind of teed me up in situations that made it easier mm-hmm. on me. Um, but I, I think any time that I've gotten the opportunity, Johnny also was ill one time last right. year, and I've, I filled in hosting the postgame show. Right. Um, and then it was kind of the same thing that Ray told me, which is just have fun with it, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's baseball, it's television, and um, – just enjoy it. Let your knowledge kind of do the work. Mm-hmm. And um, th- those two are such pros that it, it's easy to work with. Right. Them. So do you back in um, 2012, you're in spring training covering the game for Astros and you got the job or covering 2014. 2014. Sorry. Yes. You get the job. What was that transition like, you know, from that moment to opening day? It was difficult because that year I remained on as the beat writer. Right. So I was essentially doing 
two jobs during that season. Mm -hmm. I was the sideline reporter and I was the beat writer for the website. Um, But it was, it was a, I was trying to cram as much learning as I could into that spring training window because I knew that come opening day, I, I would be terrified. (laughs) And so we, you know, we do six, typically six spring training Mm -hmm. broadcasts, but it's very different during spring. I'm doing interviews that you guys help facilitate with players during the game. It's not as much, you know, the, the type of reporting that I do during games in the regular season where I'm giving updates or, or, you know, reports on, on things that, that I feel are relevant. Um, but it was, I mean, it was fun. It was Mm -hmm. exciting. Um, but that first year overall was a, a total learning experience for me going from, a world where I had as much, especially on the internet, writing on the right. internet, you have as much space, as much time really as you need mm-hmm. to tell the story that you want to now I'm on camera and I need to tell a story <laughs> yeah. in about 25 seconds. Yeah. So that was, that was a challenge for me. And, um, I would like to think that I've gotten a little, yeah. little better at that over the years. So is there anything that like, you know, today on May 17th, 2017, that you wish you knew 2014 or, you know, wish somebody would have told you back then? I think it might kind of go along the lines of what I was just mm-hmm. saying, which is that um, you don't need to tell everything. And that was, again, that was a challenge for me. I, I, I wanted to be as informative as I could and show that I was worthy of the job <laughs> yeah. and that they didn't make a big mistake putting me in that role. Um, I, you know, the, the sideline reporter job, I feel like sometimes can be useful sometimes depending on how in whatever sport whatever game it's utilized there might not be a whole lot that is brought to the table there I wanted to be someone that brought something to the table that you know created some value Um, and so I tried to be incredibly informative (laughs) and insightful and didn't have as much time as I would have ideally liked so I think over the years I've gotten better at learning to pick a few bullet points okay. of an interview or just kind of being a little more succinct and, um, you know, knowing that I don't need to talk for half an hour <laughs> to, to still give a good report. Okay. Um, are there any reporters in the field um, that you've really kind of looked up to in this role or that you've sought out for advice? Yeah, Kevin Burkhart, who... He's the best. He is no the best. <laughs> <laughs> no, none taken. Um that's what everyone in in the industry says and i think there's two parts to that kevin is incredibly talented Mm -hmm. and um kind of tuned into the game he's also one of the nicest guys you'll ever come across and i think i tried to take multiple um learn multiple things from him in that regard Mm -hmm. that you know he was very open in spring training of 2014 i I introduced myself i had met him prior to that even though i'd been covering the nats for a couple years at that point he did that job for, I want to say, seven or eight yeah, years. He was, he was there for a long time. He was. Mm-hmm. And so I f- kind of felt like he was the godfather <laughs> uh, and and really knew how to do the job and do it well. And he was very um, helpful mm-hmm. early on, just telling me how to attack the role, um, things that I should look for, things that I should not spend that much time focusing on. And gave me his number the first time I ever really? met him and said, anytime you have a question, wow. feel free to text me or call me. And I've... We've maintained a relationship now that he's on to much bigger Big, things. Bigger, yeah. He's doing the – he's the number two play-by-play guy for NFL football, football yeah. on Fox and this lead studio anchor for Fox Baseball. So he's, he's got himself a sweet gig. But Kevin's been great, right. um, and he's probably the one that over the years I've leaned on if I have a question or any mm-hmm. advice, not just with the job, but just kind of the, the TV sports in industry. Yeah. Okay, so um, 
today's game we played tonight at seven o'clock um you know walk us through a bit of your preparation from maybe this morning or this afternoon to 705 first pitch sure so standard seven o'clock game i'll wake up you know later than the average <laughs> human um and immediately i'll i'll read up on stuff that's going on around the team around the league around the opposing team mm-hmm. that the nationals will be playing that night and i'll have an idea who the starting pitcher for our club will be mm-hmm. as well as the opponent and just try and formulate while I'm laying in bed at home in <laughs> in Arlington or on the road, whatever hotel we're at, formulate some ideas for potential interviews that I might want to do, guys that I might want to talk to, okay. or topics that I might want to cover, whether it's something that I would ask Dusty or ask another right. coach or just something I already have in my head that mm-hmm. I could base off. So I'll, I'll game plan maybe four or five topics that I might want to attack that day. I'll also communicate with our pregame show producer, whether it's John Harvey or Joey Matusik, depending on who's producing that day. And we will discuss what my segment on that night's pregame show will be. We'll bounce ideas off each other and we'll settle on what we think is is a good way to attack that. Um, I'll typically get to the ballpark around three for for an average uh, seven o'clock game. Uh, at home, Dusty, as you well know, meets with the media <laughs> at 3.15, typically. Um, so I'll be there for Dusty's pregame press conference, ask any questions uh, that I might have, listen in to you know, everything going on from, from Dusty's end, and then it's, it's interviews in the clubhouse. And a lot of this time is not necessarily interviews where I've got you know, a, a cameraman okay, and a microphone yeah. or even my notepad, but a lot of it is just kind of talking with guys, whether it's about baseball, whether it's about non-baseball right. topics and just chatting. And, um, cause I feel I, I've, I don't want to be the guy who anytime he approaches a player, it's for an interview. When he needs something. Yeah. I don't want them feeling like, oh, this, here, this guy comes again. What's he need for me this time? I want to have relationships with these guys. Right. And feel like I know them. So, um, a lot of it's just small talk, but there is certainly some questioning about, you know, those, those topics mm-hmm. that I had pre-planned, um, or might have come up with something on the spot. Then, after clubhouse availability, watch a bit of BP on right. the field, get an opportunity to talk with players and coaches, and then I'll go up to the press box and I'll kind of formulate my maybe three or four best, we call them hits, my, my reports, my on-camera reports or off-camera reports, um, my three or four best hits that I might have that night, and then a couple other potential fallback options should they fit, should the, the situation present itself. Now, I might have a great report lined up for that night's starting pitcher yep. for us. If, you know, I've talked to pitching coach Mike Maddox or mm-hmm. I talked to the pitcher, if that pitcher gives up six runs in the first <laughs> inning, that report probably isn't going right. to be relevant it's tough anymore. To talk how great he is. When exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you have to be able to adjust on the fly, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of factors that go into um, determining what reports I do that night right. and when I do them. There's a lot of moving parts in the truck, mm-hmm. a lot of elements that my producer, Chip Winfield, right. who you're going to talk right. to um, as well, uh, is dealing with. And so I'll communicate with Chip throughout the game um, and try and figure out when mm-hmm. I can best get my reports in. So that's the game. I, I do my segment on the pregame show. I'll talk to Chip, our in-game producer. Mm-hmm. I'll tell him what I have that night. Head down to the fields uh, a couple minutes before the game. I, I wish you guys uh, well. <laughs> well, yes, we, we we wish each other luck at the, as the start of the game. We do. Like, tell tell me to have a great show, yes. which is always very nice of you. <laughs> uh, and then away we go. Um, okay, so um, I'm not going to make you pick a favorite player, um, but when it comes to walk off interviews, mm-hmm. 
what do you think makes like makes the best walk off interview possible? I'll say this kind of leading off walk off interviews in baseball can be difficult mm-hmm. because there's so many games. Right. If you do if you're a sideline reporter for basketball or football and there's a, you know, a huge comeback late mm-hmm. in the game or there's a trend in the, in that game, that one game is significant. Right. In football especially, that one game means a lot. Right. In baseball, you know, it's one of 162. It's one of 162, so you can't you can't ask too much about that particular game, the over overarching mm-hmm. meanings of that game because the player will say, oh, I don't know, we've got another game <laughs> tomorrow. So right. um, I, I think what makes a good interview is someone who is open to discussing. I hate the what were you thinking, yeah. what, you know, what was your approach, but, but especially in like a walk-off home run type mm. situation, you want to know what a guy was looking for right. when he steps in. You want to know what he's, how he's planning to attack that at bat. Um, but I think most importantly, and this is one thing that Max Scherzer is great at, mm. you want someone who's willing to take you into their world. So when I talk to Max after one of his couple no-hitters or after his 20-strikeout game, I can talk to him as, about his stuff that night, and right. he'll, he'll say very frankly, I had this going for mm. me, I had to adjust when this didn't happen, whatever. Um, in kind of a broader sense, you want a guy who doesn't take himself too seriously, right. who is willing to talk about himself a little bit. Mm-hmm. We, we have some players who really don't like talking right. about themselves, um, and that makes it challenging when you know, a guy hits two home runs exactly. in a game and you have to ask him about himself and he really doesn't, doesn't really want to answer to, that yeah. question. So um, someone who's willing to talk about himself but open up about his teammates and what he's noticed from them mm-hmm. and just uh, share with me his world. What, what, I'm not a player. I don't right. know what he knows. So someone that is willing to take me into his world a little bit. That, that, that's great insight. Um, so at the start of the season, you um, – Along with John Harvey, you started your own podcast, Between Innings with Dan Coco. Um, first off, remind us where we can find it. And uh, second off, uh, what was your inspiration for doing that, and what do you hope to bring with each episode? Well, thank you, Kyle, for this opportunity <laughs> to plug my podcast, Between Innings with Dan Colco, can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, any of those other, Stitcher, I don't know what else there is out there, but... Um, I like to think that pretty much any podcasting app that you might use, <laughs> uh, you can find Between Innings with Dan Colco. Um, basically, I was presented with this opportunity this winter. It wasn't something that I had really considered for myself. I, I didn't really listen to a ton of podcasts previous to having this opportunity. Um, but is, essentially, Tony Kornheiser, along with Alan Bubis, Gary Williams, the former Maryland coach, uh, Maury Povich, bought a restaurant in Friendship Heights which is now called Chatter, and Tony has a very successful podcast, mm-hmm. and they built a podcasting studio in the restaurant, and they wanted to have a Nationals podcast, so they came to me. Um, I was very excited about the opportunity and immediately thought about ways to make it different, mm-hmm. to make it interesting, that it, something that a fan might really enjoy. And what I settled on was something that wouldn't take itself too seriously, right. kind of like what I was saying with the interviews, that where it could be fun, um, would rotate through different segments so it wasn't too regimented from one show to another, could mix in some fun stuff. And, you know, I'm around the team every single right. day. I, not to in any way pump myself up, mm-hmm. but I have access that a lot of people don't have. Right. And I've been around the team for a handful of years now. I know most of these players somewhat well, um, and I'd like to think that they trust me. And I thought that I could do interviews with players and bring a perspective 
that other people maybe hadn't. Um, whether that was getting, you know, Max Scherzer to talk about where his competitiveness comes uh, from. Was, I listened to that yesterday on the plane, and it was, I was really impressed. And I think Max opened up in a way that I don't think he does very often. Yeah, thank you. Um, so something like that. Or something fun, where it's Sean Kelly and Sammy Solis, two huge Game of Thrones fans, talking to me once Game of Thrones gets going about, you know, what happened in the previous night's episode or something like that. I I wanted to mix in kind of nitty-gritty baseball stuff with fun topics as well. So I've asked guys in the clubhouse which teammate they would least trust to babysit their kids (laughs) or, um, you know, what they think of Wilmer Defoe's hairdo. And, you know, they they're able to showcase their personalities Mm -hmm. in a way that they don't on a, or fans don't get to see on a daily basis. And these guys also answer the same questions day in and day out. So I wanted to ask them something different, Mm -hmm. something they might enjoy talking about. So that was kind of my goal with it. We're five episodes in Mm -hmm. now and hopefully um, people enjoy it and it's delivering on what I hoped it would. Well, if you haven't checked it out yet, I highly recommend it. You and John do a great job. And the way I see podcasts right now is, you know, there's so many out there, but I don't think there can be enough. You know, there's something out there for everybody, and I think you and John are giving fans a, a great insight, and I think um, Nationals fans will really enjoy it if they check it out. Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate no that. No problem. So you're a, you are a sports fan, right? You're a, you're a fan of sports? Yes, okay. one could say that. <laughs> um, so when you watch a game, whether it's another baseball game, basketball, football, um, hockey, um, how often do you catch yourself either, you know, watching it as the on-field reporter, as, it, as it's your pre- profession, or a fan? Do those worlds kind of kind of merge at all? I definitely watch a game differently now than I did prior to being in this role, which I guess is is kind of at the crux of your question. Mm, right. um, I, you know, my role, like I said, I'll do maybe three, four reports throughout the course of a game. I'm not super integral to to the um, the broadcast, so I'm not necessarily looking at it from a, a reporter's perspective as much as I am the quality of the broadcast, what type of graphics they're using, okay. when are they incorporating different elements, when, when are they mixing in the sideline reporter, mm-hmm. um, how is that job being used, but, but more so just the flow of a broadcast and the elements that they're utilizing. I, I definitely, um, you know, I, I judge a broadcast now mm-hmm. to an extent okay. as compared to just watching the game. I guess right. people tune in and they watch a game. Right. I now see a game and I see a broadcast, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Do you ever, like, are you ever texting Chip or John, like, if you're watching a, a Ravens game or a Maryland basketball game and you see something that you might like or think think it's interesting, do you ever give them those guys a heads up and talk about it? Absolutely, future? yeah. Um, Chip has been doing this a long time and he's incredibly good. Right. So there might be times where I will you know, bring up an idea of something mm-hmm. that I like or, or Chuck Whitlock, our director, yeah. who's the one who chooses which cameras are being shown. Right. Um, there have been times where, you know, I'll watch another baseball broadcast and I'll see, you know, they, they have one of their cameras shooting this from this perspective. Mm-hmm. That might be a cool look. I like that. Um, with Chip, you know, Chip is incredibly talented. And so I might toss something to him that I like from time to time. He typically has an idea of what works and what doesn't. Right. But a lot of times, to be honest, we're, if, if I'm texting Chip or John, it's about something that I see that I think is stupid okay. or that I don't like. Um, for example, you know, this is just my personal preference. Early on this season, um, ESPN was utilizing a win probability uh, right. graphic. A score bug, I think. Yeah, on, on their bug very early on in games. Right. And I believe it was opening day, the, the very first broadcast mm-hmm. of the season. And it was the top of the second inning, right. a scoreless game. And I saw a win probability <laughs> graphic. 
and that that to me was pretty Irky silly. A little, yeah. yeah, it's a scoreless game, top two. <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's probably fifty fifty. Probably pretty <laughs> close to fifty fifty. Um, but it actually wasn't. It was like fifty eight forty two. So it, it didn't make any sense <laughs> to me. Um, but yeah, so we will sometimes text about things, um, and we'll have conversations about ways that we want to kind of. You know, maybe adjust the broadcast mm-hmm. a tiny bit, but for the most part, um, you know, Chip Chip has been doing this for so long. He has a good idea of what he likes and what he does, and then he's pretty dead on with things. Okay, so two more quick ones, maybe not so quick. Um, what? Because I ramble. <laughs> no. um, what has been your favorite moment in your current role? If you could pick one, I know it's probably hard, but it is hard because I've been very fortunate. I mean, there. Let's be honest. There are people who have my type of job who cover a team that never makes the playoffs or very infrequently makes the playoffs or doesn't, you know, isn't in the mix. Right. I'm I'm lucky. I came aboard doing this job in 14 and immediately they won the division. They won it again last year. So two of my my three years previous to this, they've won it. And I've I've covered three no hitters. I've covered a 20 strikeout game. (laughs) I've covered tons of walk offs. There's been a lot of excitement here. I, I think overall the. Um, the first no hitter, the Steven Souza catch, yeah. Jordan Zimmerman, Jason Worth getting Jordan with the pie, getting me with the pie is one that sticks out. Um, and then the clinchers, yeah. you know, 2014 in Atlanta was just a thrill. That was the first time that I had really been a part of that before, mm-hmm. and um, the chaos and everything. And it's special. Um, as a kid growing up, you see all those champagne beer right. celebrations, <laughs> and you want to be in them as a player. And, you know, I was not nearly talented enough <laughs> for that to happen. But I, I think we would both say that we're fortunate exactly. to, to be able to work in sports in some capacity and be a part of that, even in some small way. We're not the ones right. dumping the champagne <laughs> in the beer, um, but just to be there for that right. and to interview the guys in that moment of just, like, sheer joy mm-hmm. uh, has been a blast for me. I mean, me. I don't know if I've ever – if I've heard Nats Park sound the way – it did that when Stevens who's made that catch. Yeah. I mean, we've had some great moments at that park. Like I said, no hitters, 20 strikeouts. But when he made that catch, I don't think we've matched the, the crowd reaction. It was just that. a special day. It was the right. last day of the regular exactly. season. We knew they were going to win the division title. They'd locked it up. Right. Denard Spann has his double right. and to, I believe, set a Nationals set record, record for team yeah. hits yeah. Uh, or hits in a, in a season and then gets pulled off right. right afterwards and gets a standing. It was just a special day. Right. And then Jordan goes out there and shoves <laughs> yeah. and and Steven makes that dramatic catch. It was um, it was special to be there for that. So my final question, probably the most important question I'll ask and you'll get asked in a long time. Oh, boy. Um, what is your favorite flavor of Gatorade? My favorite flavor, <laughs> Kyle, would have to be blue. I love blue. Um, blue is not a, a Blue a is the flavor. <laughs> Listeners, Kyle and I have uh, gone back and forth about this f- for years now. Yes. Where I will take a sip of the Gatorade <laughs> in the dugout. I will say, hmm, it's a good batch of red today. And Kyle will say, red is not a flavor, Dan. And I will say, it doesn't <laughs> matter, Kyle. So blue, Kyle, is number one. Purple is number two. And then the rest are all kind of muddled there. I Tied think I think uh, yellow, lemon, lime, as you might call it, yeah. has made its, its way original. maybe up into the number yeah. three spot. But yeah, for me, that, that's number one. It's the original Gatorade. Um, you get a best of both worlds with the lemon and the lime. Um, don't really taste much yellow in there, but whatever. I uh, will say that if I taste the batch of Gatorade, and let's say it's a blue or a purple, mm-hmm. and it's a good batch, I know it's going to be a good day. Okay. Uh, that's it's, we're going to have a smooth broadcast. Right. Nats are going to play well. <laughs> You'll have good, a good walk-off good, interview. A good walk-off <laughs> interview. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, Dan, uh, let you get back to work. Um, I will see you later this afternoon at the park, and um, 
We'll be back later in this episode with Chip Winfield, as Dan mentioned a couple times, the producer for Ma- of Masson's, Masson Broadcasts. So thanks again, Dan. You got it, Kyle. My pleasure. Goodbye. So thanks again to Dan for joining us. Um, so for our next interview, we shifted the focus a bit to an area that fans rarely, if ever, get to see. Chip Winfield, who Dan referred to a few times in his segment, is the producer of Nationals Baseball on Masson. Chip runs the show from their TV truck, which is either located at a specific truck dock, uh, inside a park, or in the parking lot. Depends on the stadium and you know where they house their TV trucks. He is in constant contact with Bob, FP, Dan uh, during the broadcast, as well as the rest of his staff that locate that are located throughout the stadium at camera positions or um, in the truck with him. Like we talked about when Jackie Coleman visited us for episode two. Um, you know, you may not know Chip specifically, uh, but you definitely know his work, and you have since the club moved to D.C. in 2005 because he's been with Masson that long. So if you're sitting down at home at 7 o'clock on a you know, Tuesday night and you're watching the Nationals game, you are taking part in what Chip and the rest of the Masson crew puts together. And I think it sometimes gets lost, um, you know, how many important people there are behind the scenes of these broadcasts. Um, we obviously get to see the broadcasters, Bob Carpenter, F.P. Santangelo, Dan Colco, um, and the other reporters, but the amount of very important, talented staff that it takes to pull off 162 game broadcasts, uh, the pre and post game shows, um, you know, rain delay programming when they have to fill time during a rain delay, um, it's truly amazing. And uh, we hope listeners get a better sense of that through this conversation with Chip. And we are back at the Curly W Live studios with our second interview of today's podcast. Um, as you just heard, we checked in with Dan Colco, uh, the on field reporter for Masson Broadcasts. Um, so let's take a second and check in with the person behind the scenes of those same broadcasts. Um, on podcast number two, as you remember, we talked to Jackie Coleman about how you, you as fans know her work, but you may not know her personally. Um, the same goes for our next guest, Chip Winfield, producer of <coughs> Nationals Baseball on Masson. Um, like Jackie, you know his work, no doubt, but let's get to know him a bit. Uh, Chip, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Um, so you've been with Masson since the Nationals came to D.C. in '05. Right? Correct. Okay, so um, could you take us through your career path and how you got to that point and how your role has evolved in the last, you know, 13 years of the organ- of the team? Uh, sure. So I guess in the mid-90s, I got into TV sort of as a stats guy, a graphics coordinator, um, doing a lot of local sports. I'm, a, you know, I'm born and bred D.C., so okay. uh, I did the Orioles before the Nats got here and, and the Caps. Um in graphics roles and stats roles mm-hmm. and then sort of um, worked my way up into producing um, you know starting with the Orioles did mm-hmm. the Caps for several years when Ovechkin first got there a few okay. years and then moved to the Nats when they came to town so with a seven o'clock game or tonight seven thirty-five, um, could you walk us through your preparation and what your day is like for a typical seven o'clock or seven thirty game yeah, I guess it, it starts the night before trying to get your head around, you know, what happened the night mm-hmm. before, what you're going to do the next day. And then you just um, develop a format each day. A lot of time goes into the first five minutes of the show before first mm-hmm. pitch, even though, you know, a lot of people don't <laughs> necessarily yes. see that. That's right. where you spend time. Um, you just want to hit the storylines. You know, mm-hmm. want to make sure you talk to the announcers and, and everybody else involved in the show and, and that you're not missing anything. Read the notes that you right. guys put out, you know, just latest trends. Stay on top of things. Now, we're here in Atlanta uh, recording this podcast. This is the second time we've been to Atlanta this season. Um, so maybe take me back um, to we, when we came here the first time, and you had been to Turner Field forever. You've been going there three times every year. When you got to SunTrust Park, 
is there anything different you have to kind of survey or look around or, um, you know, kind of walk the park to see if it's different in any way or anything that you may have, any challenges you may see? Uh, somewhat, yeah. We're fortunate in that we have um, tech managers and people that, mm. that sort of use site surveys, that kind of thing that happened before we get there. But clearly it's a different ballpark um, and different angles. Mm. You know, cameras need to move, sometimes be in different spots just based on what you can see, how they mm. built it, what's blocked, what's not blocked. So, yeah, we spent a decent amount of time trying to get comfortable with a new place. And, you know, every new place presents right. some challenges. But at least they they think of us before they build the place or <laughs> building the place. You think, as you're saying, TV is important? <laughs> um, <laughs> now, you talked about staff a little bit. Um, Give fans a bit of a breakdown. You have local crews, and then you also have um, a group of traveling staff, correct? Yes. Um, how does that break? Do you use the same guys in each city? And then in terms of when we have home games, um, how big of a staff do you manage there? And, you know, what's their day like? Uh, I'll take, you know, the first part is, is yeah, well, there's seven of us that travel, including mm-hmm. announcers. So um, producer, director, um, an AD, uh, a graphics coordinator, and then our three announcers. Mm-hmm. So... And then locally, we'll hire the rest of the crew. I mean, been traveling around for a while, so in most cities, same people, people. Are all familiar, absolutely. Okay. At home, uh, including the pre and post show crew, it's probably about fifty. Okay. To put on the home show, and uh, absolutely same guys for years. I mean, the the lead guy that does all of our stuff in the tape room, and I, Ken Acock, been right. working together for like twenty years. So, what's the vibe like um, inside your truck? You know, if someone popped their head in in the fourth inning, what would what would what kind of vibe would they get, and what would they see? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to think they feel welcome. First of all, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a dark place because there's a bunch of monitors and the lights are out. And um, but I, I like, you know, I'd like to see they think they see continuity. Mm-hmm. Us all working together and just trying to, you know, row in the same direction. Right. Um, in terms of technology, I'm sure you've seen a lot over the years. Um, tech, I mean, technological advances. Um, you know, like this year, you've added Statcast to your broadcast. What do you think have been some of the most important um, behind-the-scenes technological advances that you've seen over the years? There's been a ton. I mean, yeah. you know, TV's come a long way. Right. I think the most dramatic you'd see at home is the Exmo cameras, those right. super slow looks that, you know, give you the close plays mm-hmm. of the bag or the plate or wherever they are, and the super slow swings. For us, for me, the thing that comes to mind is the, the device that records while playing back. That oh, didn't wow. exist when I first started. It was an old tape machine mm-hmm. where you press record. Once you stop recording, you stop recording. Okay the electronic devices record and play back at the same time. Oh, wow. So we never miss anything. At the end of the night, um, you know, you, the, the show goes off the air, hopefully the Nationals win, and you kind of take your headset off. What's, you know, in your mind, what would make a perfect broadcast at that point? And, and what, like, um, you know, how do you judge the quality of your broadcasts? I think perfect's tough for all of us because there's yeah. just so many things happening right. in a three-hour show that – perfect i don't know achievable <laughs> i don't i don't know that i've seen it uh, there's always a little something that bothers you mm-hmm. i think you know you feel like it's a good show if everybody around you knows that you didn't really have any mistakes you feel like you were all over mm-hmm. you had a good game nats win right the best shows are when the nats right. win clearly right i mean we're all hoping they mm-hmm. win because it makes for good tv for us and right. you know gives us things to follow so as a sports fan or a person when you're watching a game that you're not producing um do you watch it as a fan, or are you watching it as a producer? How do those two worlds kind of collide, I guess? That's a, that's a good one, because <laughs> when I started in this business, my friends, buddies, watching games, like I'm a big Terps fan. Right. They get sick of watching games with me, because I'd be, I'd see something on the right. broadcast technically and make comment on it, and they'd wonder, you know, wouldn't really see it, or <laughs> just don't notice as much as you think. So I think I've come off of that in the years of doing it. I sort of just go back to watching as a fan, good. or try to. Anyway. <laughs> do you ever 
watch a game and jot down notes or text friends or coworkers about you know it's something that you see and you maybe want to incorporate that into one of your broadcasts i like that one too that's good i mean the best idea i mean no ideas are new i guess right you know so the you're absolutely taking stuff from other people, trying to incorporate it into the way you do things, things you like, things you see. I mean, maybe cliche, but a lot right. of the best ideas are stolen. <laughs> <laughs> That's very honest of you. Um, you said you know, you've, you've done a lot in your career, like you said, Caps games, um, obviously baseball. Is there any non-baseball or uh, non-nationals event that you would like to cover, kind of like a bucket list item? I, I think I'm a big golf fan. Okay. I'd love to get down to the Masters. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I guess – probably these days more of a fan than mm-hmm. in coverage but but um but i think if i could pick one event to produce and, and it'd be the masters yeah the, i'm i'm always amazed at golf broadcasts like the way they cut back i mean i'm very new at this and don't really understand as much as you do but the way they cut from hole to hole and i mean it's what goes on behind the scenes there i think it's got to be uh, almost organized chaos i guess absolutely <laughs> like, a lot of the stuff you see is right, on tape seconds right, ago or right. moments ago because they don't like to sit there and what but yeah it's it's pretty pretty fast moving in there as well um so my last one for you today what has been your um favorite moment in the truck or favorite moment team moment um in your time doing this i mean it's got to be the clinches Mm -hmm. you know i mean the the one in 2012 right for us was fantastic Mm -hmm. because it was at home which gives us all our resources all our best people Mm -hmm. to cover it um and it also gave us two areas you know there was really a, a ton going on on right. the field and then a ton going on in the clubhouse right. so we had christine ackers with mm-hmm. us then but we had her on the field we had fp in the clubhouse we had bob upstairs right. we were bouncing back and forth to three different people <laughs> you know everybody's going nuts ryan zimmerman reaction coming right. to the dugout when he found him i just geo on the field with mm-hmm. the champagne i mean so many memories like vivid in right. my mind from five years in ago. a situation like that how long like how long do you have like do you once the the clinch happens and the celebration keeps going and going is there a time where you have to be like all right we got five minutes left ten minutes left or can you pretty much have rain free rain we're lucky with our network there's mm-hmm. nothing necessarily we have to get to so right. it's i mean a night like that we're going as long as the, the as long team as it takes. takes us no doubt That's is it night. any different um you know and then our other two clinches have been on the road is there anything more difficult or um different or things you like more about being on the road um it, in a situation like that yeah i think there's there's pros and cons of both, but give me the home thing. All, just all, for the fan. Yeah, all, yeah the, the, I think the visuals of that is um, was pretty special, and, and it lives forever. I mean, you you still see highlights from that day. No doubt, the video from that one's about. I mean, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh was great. You know, right. whenever they clinched, it was great. But right. the field and the and the and the, you know that one too was funny. In 2012, they didn't win by getting the last right. out. They, right. They did that in Atlanta. Exactly. Right. Oh, the last out they clinched, but mm-hmm. in the first one. They found out on the scoreboard. Right. Think, Zimmerman walks into the dugout right. and finds out, and that's where he And then the, the, the murmur starts going across the, cra- yep. uh, the stands, and you start to realize it. And then last year in, in Pittsburgh, we had to wait. We had to watch the Mets game. It was about 20 minutes. Is that yeah, no. We were sitting in how, the How was that for you? So it <laughs> brings up another question. Were you just sitting there and filling for that 20 minutes? Pretty or? much. Wow. We, well, we throw to our postgame right. show. Johnny and Ray do some stuff. Mm-hmm. They come back to us, and we're – you know, and and obviously they're giving pitch by pitch updates of the Mets game at that right. point because that was a crazy game. Remember? Right. It was back and forth, and and I think they they got the lead, they blew the lead. It was definitely like a let's get this game over. With, yep, you and know? the Mets pulled it out, like, right. or I lost like right. ten eight. I right. think it was ten eight. Yeah, and it, it was like I said, it went like I said about twenty twenty five minutes yeah. after our game. Yeah, um, it was cool. But I think each each one of those has its own story, which I mean, they think that's great about what what you do and what we do is it's all it's the ultimate reality tv sports and you do it 162 times a year it's pretty much just different every night that's when people ask the favorite part about it right. there's no doubt it's the live 
atmosphere. Right. You never know what, what night's going to be like, and especially with baseball, which right. is more what unpredictable than exactly. other sports. It's fantastic. And you can, have, you can have a good show or a good game one day, but then – Next day, you're you're on a plane to the next city, and you got to do it again the next day. So. Right, and we're lucky to cover a good team. I right. mean, hopefully, they get a few more titles right. coming up. You know, exactly. Well, Chip, uh, appreciate you taking the time. I know you got a busy day. It's the first day of a series, so it, it's a little bit busier for all of us. So I appreciate you taking the time uh, and spending it with us. My pleasure. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. So thanks again to Dan and Chip for joining us on episode three of the Curly W Live podcast. Uh, both of those gentlemen are incredibly busy during the day with all the preparation that goes into their broadcast, so it means a lot that they took the time to uh, sit down and chat for a few minutes. As always, we want your feedback, so feel free to tweet at me, at Kyle Brostowitz, or at Nationals, and feel free to leave comments on Curly W Live. As always, you can find the podcast on our blog, Curly W Live, which is curlyw.mlblogs.com, nationals.com slash podcast, and on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe to the blog as well as the podcast on iTunes so you don't miss out on anything. This week, the Nationals welcome the Seattle Mariners for an interleague series and then the San Diego Padres this weekend uh, to Nationals Park before heading out on the road for a long West Coast trip. And while the team is on that road trip, I think I'm going to take a bit of a road trip myself for Episode 4. Uh, so stay tuned for information on that. Uh, and until next time, Nationals fans, thank you for tuning in. 